Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. It's April 13, 2017. I'm Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Dixie Huey. We're in the Nicholson Library at Linfield. And Dixie, will start you off with an easy question, which Thank is you. why wine? Why wine? Oh my goodness. Um, I can't think of a reason not to be in wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, why wine? Well, I was originally, when I was in college, um, studying psychology and French, and my game plan had been to stay in academia and become a PhD in psychology and help people. Um, and then when I was in my senior year in my abnormal psych class, I realized that A, I'm too young, I have no wisdom for this, <laughs> and B, I really don't want to go to school for five years and either work with lab rats or um, <laughs> people that I don't feel that I can help at this point. So maybe one day I'll return to that. Sure. And kind of the fun joke is that I get to use psychology all the time because I am um, trying to bring out, I would say, the best in people, not necessarily help them with psychological problems and, <laughs> and share their stories with people that I'm trying to influence to, to cover them. Um, so it does come in handy. But um, the, the reason for why wine and seriousness is that when I decided not to pursue psychology as a career, I needed to do something. Um, and it was my college roommate who said, you know, you're clearly into wine, you know, that's a job. And I'm on the East Coast, I went to Duke University, mm -hmm. so um, I, I'd never heard of someone having a job, really, that had to do with wine. Mm -hmm. um, and she said, well, you know, you're, you're teaching a wine class, you've convinced our friends to invest in this weekly tasting, you, you clearly love it, why don't you do something in that? And I thought, well, <laughs> sure, that's a great idea, but how in the world would anyone do that? Um, and so really it was through, you know, that was my first look into what I'd call the, the networking and more importantly, like the generosity mm -hmm. of our industry. Mm -hmm. um, because she started to connect me with a family friend who had a job in wine PR and then all of a sudden these doors open and I found people really willing to give their time wow. to discuss with me the industry mm -hmm. and um, how I might fit in to the industry. And so I kind of came into it just with a love of the actual wine and uh, itself and the history and the agricultural aspect of things. Um, but what really has drawn me in and kept me in is that, you know, I'm surrounded by people who love what they do um, and sharing it with others. And I, I can't imagine a, um, a better environment and industry in which to work. So let's back up for a second here. Sure. You mentioned teaching a wine class and investing in wine tasting. Tell us, yes. tell me about that. So that was, um, I mean, it's senior year of college, and so there was this wine club. That's a very loose term, <laughs> um, but it was seniors of age who would meet at a restaurant. And it had been a traditional thing, mm -hmm. and so uh, I got into that and decided that I would love to run it and, and be head of it. No one was really looking for any responsibility; they were looking to drink wine. Sure, sure. Um, and so through that, I got to meet distributor reps, who were the people that would actually select the wine and come in and conduct the tasting. And so that was really my first introduction to appreciating wine. And this was a pretty big group of probably 40 people. Mm. And so I decided, so that's on Thursdays. On Tuesdays, I'm going to have a smaller group of people to our apartment. So they each paid me something like $100. And for that, which was a lot of money for us, and this is a long time sure. ago. Um, then I went to the main wine store there and worked with them to pick out sort of themes and then present that to, <laughs> and did some research on each you know region and that sort of thing so that was sort of the beginning of me truly dorking out <laughs> on wine <laughs> so then you're you're thinking about getting into the industry and you're and you've met people so mm -hmm. what point did you realize that wine wine consulting was a job or was something you could do so that was later um, I first joined a, a wonderful company in the Bay Area through this actual college roommate's connection <laughs> um, because it is a small world it's once small you get world. in. Um, sure. So moved out to the West Coast and worked for eight years in different, more marketing roles um, for an importer 
for a very large global wine and spirits company and for a PR agency. Um, I also on the side worked in retail and restaurant just to immerse myself mm -hmm. in the industry. And so um, it, becoming a consultant though was really more of a, I'd say a lifestyle change for my now husband and I. And we had just decided that we no longer wished to live in San Francisco and his Bay Area company was actually recruiting people actively to come up to the Northwest. And so at that time, um, I was in business school, which, you know, the kind of funny thing about business school is it's big um, time where you're investing in yourself and you're studying companies and how everything looks from afar and how to make it perfect. And so you're never sort of more hot air filled <laughs> about business than recent graduate of business school. And since we were moving to the area, I thought, well, the original reason that I went to business school was A or B. A, I would like to run a winery. And so I'd always been on the marketing side of things. And so I intentionally chose a concentration in finance because I knew that if I wanted to be at more of a general manager or director mm -hmm. level that I needed to fill those more broad business and financial gaps. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I'll either run a winery or maybe I'll start a company. But that just seemed crazy. <laughs> Um, and right around the time I was finishing school is when we decided to accept his, his then company's offer to move to the Pacific Northwest. And so again, filled with sort of, I can do anything, I'm an MBA now, <laughs> I said, well, heck, I'll just start a company and <laughs> if I fail, I can provide value in, a, in another way to the industry. And that was in 2008, so I'm really happy to have become immersed in Pacific Northwest wine and um, particularly in the Oregon wine scene and um, just honored that it's you know been almost 10 years um, and the great irony of that is uh, I like to joke is that I you know don't have one or two bosses I have all of my clients <laughs> and their stakeholders right. as uh, people right. to whom to report to so so did you have much familiarity with Oregon or Oregon wines or Washington wines before you came up no. <laughs> um, I had always been in either sort of Napa, Sonoma, mm -hmm. or what I call more international wine, because the importer that I worked for was a, a wonderful family um, in Portugal. And then the agency that I moved to after that represented wineries from around the world, just not uh, in, Oregon in Oregon in particular. We did have um, a Hogue winery, so that was my first introduction to Washington and mm -hmm. Northwest. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did come up to that region and visit, but uh, as we all know, Oregon's vastly different from um, the Columbia Valley sure. and Washington wine region. So no, I, I had no specific familiarity. I had very few contacts in this region, but I did have what I think is the ultimate wine bug was a, a love of Pinot Noir and specifically Definitely. Oregon Def Pinot Noir. That definitely helps, yeah. So on one hand, when my husband told me, you know, I'm, I'm going to consider a transfer to Vancouver, and I thought, great, I love British Columbia, let's do it, let's live internationally, and he said, no, Not that it's actually Vancouver, Washington, <laughs> and I thought, where is that, what is that? <laughs> um, and then I realized how close it was to the Willamette Valley. Um, and that sort of got the, okay, well now I'm going to be surrounded by some of the world's best Pinot Noir, like I think, I think I can make this work. So, so then what exactly is Trellis Wine Consulting? Excellent. So Trellis Wine Consulting is actually Trellis Growth Partners. We were, I founded Trellis Wine Consulting in 2008 and I'd say around, I'd have to look back for the specific date, but let's call it 2011, 2012, uh, rebranded to be Trellis Growth Partners. Um, so we are a marketing communications uh, consultancy. Okay. So it's been different things uh, through different times. So it, it's, it's, it's been a full circle, if you will, with a lot of learning in between. So in 2008, it was just me. Um, I was a consultant in the marketing communication space, but also broader sort of strategic management, growth, um, distribution is an area that I gained, um, where I gained a lot of experience um, in my uh, career prior to founding my company and that's an area that's less understood uh, particularly in Oregon so that's a skill set that was mm -hmm. uh, continues to be needed um, and so it was just me for a couple of years and then I made my first hire um, and at one point was up to a team of four and uh, slowly have gone back 
down <laughs> toward just me. So that's why I say full circle. And that's really more of a um, family decision. Having a kid, they say, changes everything. And those who say that are correct. <laughs> so Trellis Growth Partners provides marketing, communications, and strategic management consulting to wineries. Uh, tend to work with family-owned uh, producers um, and also have had the great pl pleasure of representing Salud for a few years. Oh, excellent. excellent. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges you face as a wine consultant? Ooh. Um, well, one of them actually with the, the uh, question about trellis wine consulting, one is, you know, what is a wine consultant? Mm -hmm. uh, one, of the reasons, one of the main reasons I changed the name of the company is people thought I made wine. Um, I have made wine, it did not go very well, so I am sticking on the business side of things. It gave me a great appreciation for winemakers and uh, <laughs> vendors. Um, but in terms of a challenge as a consultant to the industry, I'd say th those things change um, over time. So initially the great challenge was just, who the heck is this person? Mm -hmm. And why would I hire you? Um, sure. Just, I, I didn't know anyone. You know, who does that? Who picks up and moves to where they don't know anyone, starts a company, and then has the great recession <laughs> descend <laughs> upon them? Um, so I think just the main initial, and this is what I share with people too who come to me if they're thinking of getting into the industry or starting a business, is just, you know, it takes time to get to know people. You've got to volunteer, mm -hmm. you've got to show up. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, come and volunteer at Linfield during IPNC. Serve lunch sure. uh, to people, meet people, and I think that's you know it's that networking aspect and those relationships that were really magnetic to me in terms of deciding to to enter the industry. And again, that's what's kept me there. And so it was an exciting challenge to move to a place where I didn't know anyone and try to meet a whole sure. um, group a whole of, industry, yeah, a whole industry sure. and leaders. And so I would say initially that was the big challenge. Um, another big challenge would just be you know. What is marketing? Uh, in Napa, where I had, I didn't live in Napa, but most of my clients were there, it would be very common to have a communications team mm -hmm. within a winery and hire a PR firm. Um, and when I worked for the importer, you know, I was head of all that and I hired a PR firm. So the norm was that people invest in marketing communications and sure. strategy. Sure. And so to come here, where the scale of the producer tends to be mom and pop or very small. You know, if you make 10,000 cases here, you're huge. Mm -hmm. That's tiny mm -hmm. in Napa. And so there, because of the scale of production, that limits, of course, in most cases, the scale of investment that's available in marketing. Mm -hmm. So there's just the financial constraint. But there's also, I would say, has been, you know, Oregon's very roll up your sleeves, like we're just going to work together, we're going to figure this out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the founders, that was their mm -hmm. total spirit. It's one of the things that I really admire about this uh, part of the wine world. Um, but there's a little bit of, I'd say sort of lack of understanding of what is marketing mm -hmm. and sort of why do I need that? and. I don't need to do that, mm -hmm. as if it's sort of like a lesser. Mm -hmm. um, when I taught at Chemeketa's Northwest Viticultural Center um, for a couple years, I noticed that the, you know, the industry, it dawned on me that it's this two-legged stool of, you know, it's all about vineyard management, viticulture, and production, mm -hmm. but what about that third leg that you've got to, you have to plan your business, and so, if you want, if you wish to continue growing grapes and making wine, mm -hmm. I would say 99% of people need to be able to sell through that vintage so that they can then come and do it again. Sure. And so, you know, when I moved here, there was tremendous growth happening in, in terms of number of producers, mm -hmm. number of brands. I'd say a very exciting time. And it was someone else in the industry who I think said it best, you know, your services are really needed but no one really knows what you do. <laughs> so good luck, nice. welcome. <laughs> sure. And so, uh, you know, again, challenges, you know, the initial challenge of meeting, I mean, you have to know people, I'm not gonna cold call wineries. Mm -hmm. um, there's also that sort of Oregon and California, mm. very different, and I kept sure. saying, well, I'm from North Carolina, I'm not. <laughs> um, and so then it becomes, well, what, do you, what would you say you do here, and mm -hmm. how can you help us? And then, you know, there are other challenges. Well, the company, especially a small company like my clients, you know, you have to adapt, you have to change. What are the services that are actually needed? And so one of the big pivots that I made was offering 
public relations. So whereas a lot of people weren't at a point where they wanted to invest in strategic marketing and five-year growth plans and mm -hmm. sort of that level of things, um, many vintners recognize the need to get their story written, shared, and, and hope to gain coverage of what it is that they're doing. Sure. And so that has been a very popular um, service, and it's something that... You know, I always joke with my husband. He told me to offer that immediately, and I said, "I'm going to do strategic marketing." And he said, "People want PR," <laughs> and that um, that has definitely um, been an uh, in-demand service. So I think it has just required being in an industry. It's not a nascent industry, but it's definitely still a growing. You know, mm -hmm. maybe it's an adolescent mm -hmm. in terms of when you compare it to the international wine scene. Sure. Um, being flexible to say, "Look, I have a." pretty broad skill set on the business side, what's needed? And hey, I love wine, so I'm going to be happy serving in any of those capacities. So it's interesting that you, you're focusing in a, you're focusing on especially on small family wineries. Mm -hmm. and as you say, the, the people who are least likely to be able to afford or to want to be able to afford your right. services. So you talked a little bit about this, but how do you alleviate those kind of fears of like making that leap? Right. A great business plan, right? Sure. <laughs> Select a market that doesn't understand you, want you, or have sure. the budget. Sure. Um, alleviate the fears. It goes back to the relationships. I mean, it's my favorite thing about the industry, but I think once you, once you get to know producers, and you know, as I always advise people, keep showing up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would say it's really my early adopter clients. You know, mm -hmm. it, I'm a small entity. I don't want to be a large agency, especially now with, with a young child. Um, it's those early adopter clients who said, you know, I, I like your expertise. I, I think that you can help us and then get in there and do a wonderful job and <laughs> exceed expectations. And so I think more than like the person or the company name, it's the work that I have done, the results. Mm -hmm. and, and when I had a team, um, of, of people, it's the coverage that we gain. So people don't necessarily want you, mm -hmm. the person. They want that, which you did for the other client. And sure. how did that happen? And, oh, that's something that maybe I could do. And so it's really, you know, I always used to joke, like if I were a um, screw cap maker or a printer, I could come in with a, a book of things and say, look at all these beautiful printed labels or a graphic designer, look at my portfolio. You know, what's, how do you show a portfolio of a sales plan? Mm -hmm. You know, this is not sexy stuff. <laughs> um, but that's the beauty of PR, because PR, I can show a portfolio mm -hmm. of coverage in various outlets. Um, and so that has been a helpful marketing piece for me, is the coverage that I've gained for clients. So I think it's two things to, to circle back, developing the relationships and showing up, and, and then the results, you know, providing the services you say you're going to provide, developing strong relationships with your clients, and then, you know, the one great thing also about having a relatively small industry is everyone talks, and mm -hmm. so, you know, hey, where did, how were you featured in mm -hmm. the Wall Street Journal? Sure, um, sure. And then you get referrals, which are gold. Sure, exactly. Um, so when people, when you do, either you approach someone and they decide to take your services on or someone approaches you with mm -hmm. interest, what is the main concern they have or what is the main need they have and has that changed since you started? I don't think overall that it has really changed, say, in nine years. Um, certainly during, you know, the 08 beginning of the recession, you know, that's a real constrained time. So the, the concerns on behalf of clients are anything from, you know, are we going to sell any wine? I mean, we have to face it. Like, mm -hmm. the wines made here overall are very expensive, mm -hmm. and they're not everyday wines. Um, and so how are we going to continue, um, and how are we going to sell through those cases when people are tightening their sure. budgets and our distributors, maybe if we have them, are buying less? And so I think that's just, you know, any kind of a economic fluctuation like that is going to bring a whole host of concerns that will last for X period of time. I think overall the concern is look at all these new brands. Look at all this competition. Our industry is changing. Look at technology. Mm -hmm. You know, our website doesn't look anything like <laughs> today's website. And so I think a client might not describe it as our image, 
but you know, I call it the magnetism. Like, how do we continue to attract people to us? Mm -hmm. How do we? Most wineries want to make more wine. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you want to make more wine, you need to find more customers. And so it's really, how do we find customers? Because there are all these new entrants, and the sort of pie is getting sliced up, the customer pie, thinner and thinner. Um, and so I think that will continue to be a concern of clients. How do we get recognition? And then the other piece of it is, you know, with the, the PR side of things, it's really hard to write your own story. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be your own publicist. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think people just, they, they know that that's a specialized skill set, but they're not, it's one of those gray things. I mean, I'm the first to say, I can't guarantee you're going to get coverage. I mean, I wouldn't take someone on if I didn't think that they had enough of the ingredients necessary to get the coverage. But, you know, it's another beauty of my business model. It's, there's no guarantee. Sure, sure. Um, so I hope that answers it's, your question. It's a, it's a master business plan. It is. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, um, was there a, a pivotal point in your career? Was there a point at which you're like, I'm going to make it? This is this. I can do this. This is my career now? Oh, in terms of starting a business and yeah. being a consultant? Or in your you know, I think, career in general, either way. Well, I think because when you start a business, I mean, that's something that has really helped me. I've always had an appreciation for the vineyards and the, the wineries, even when I didn't have my own business. But I think that it you develop a, a greater understanding when you are also a small business mm -hmm. um, okay. of what they must be facing because you know I have no inventory in my business sure. <laughs> that I need to turn I have my time and my skill set and so I think one is just relating to my clients understanding some of what they go through um, and I'm sorry, I, I would like you to answer, ask me the question again because <laughs> I'm a, going if, off into Timbuktu. That, that's all right. I was, I was, there was like a pivotal point in your career <laughs> when you, point, when you knew you were going to be okay. Or knew this, well, this in, in, in Trellis Growth Partners, I think it was actually, and I cannot, forgive me, I can't remember the event. It might have been Salute. Um, and so when I started off with Salute, I was a, a ticket holder. And I didn't look around the room. I don't know anyone. Um, I know of someone, mm -hmm. I recognize that guy or that gal, <laughs> probably a winemaker. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's a couple years later, so let's just call it 2010, 2011. Um, I'm now volunteering with Salute, and I look around the room and I know most of the people. And I think that's just one of those, you know, I felt like, wow, I don't know anyone here, not a soul. Um, to then say, I, I know and respect a lot of these people. Uh, just meant a lot to me and so sure. I guess that's when I finally felt like okay I have a footprint here I've got some roots mm -hmm. that are, are growing sure. and yes you know it's pivotal because my company's going to work excellent when you're working in a, a, a fairly still small industry you know mm -hmm. big by Oregon standards yeah. but small overall and you're working for multiple clients who are similar right how do you keep from competing with yourself I get asked that a lot and you know I'm used to it because when I work for the agency in San Francisco we got the same thing well you know maybe you have a client in New Zealand France and Washington but I see you all also have eight California clients how mm -hmm. do you how do you deal with that how, how do we not compete who do you decide gets sure. the article <laughs> well here's the beauty of it I do not get to decide <laughs> the journalist gets to decide sure. my job is to create compelling content based on all of the magical things that clients have going on in their unique story and then serve that to media. And so really it's making a connection between content and those who cover our industry. Um, now let's get very practical. So let's say at any given time maybe I've got three, five, ten clients. How are they not competing? Well they all have very different stories. Mm -hmm. And there's not just room for one story. Um, so I think that's where the creativity of PR comes in. You know, maybe I'm coming up with a, a sample mailer where I've combined different clients' wines into one box, and each one represents part of the broader Oregon story. Mm -hmm. um, I think an important thing to understand is that because relatively few Oregon producers actually invest in PR and, and getting their wines outside of the state, journalists are thrilled to hear from me. Hmm. Because think about it, everyone in Napa is just banging on the door constantly. Sure. And great for Napa. 
there's much less noise and offering coming from Oregon. And let's, I mean, we know the wines are great. Mm -hmm. And so it, what I have is easy to share with media or to sell. Would you like to taste amazing wines with great stories that you receive very few of? You know, sure, sign me up. <laughs> um, so I think the, the bottom line is that there, journalists have room for good stories. You know, the, mm -hmm. the challenge is how do you serve it to them in a way that is interesting? You can't do it in the way that everyone else does it. You have to do your homework. What are their interests? Like you have to, same way that we in the industry value our relationships with each other, you have a relationship with a journalist. What does he like to write about? What does she not like to write mm -hmm. about? You know, what has she not written about this year? You actually have to follow their work. Sure, um, sure. Interesting. So speaking of relationships in the industry, I'm curious as you're looking around the room at Salute a couple years mm -hmm. in and you're recognizing people, were there early, were there people you made relationships with early that struck out, stuck out to you? Were there like important key relationships you built early on or, or people you knew um, that boosted your career? Well, uh, hands down, the, the number one is Bill Stoller because he basically gave me a chance to help Stoller and to provide my services when I was super new. <laughs> um, and I remember sitting down at a meeting with him. I would also add to that Andrea Johnson, who owns Andrea Johnson Photography, mm -hmm. because she understood what it is that I was doing because she works all over the world. Um, and we took a liking to each other, and so she's been recommending me, again, referrals, networking, but mm -hmm. to, to get back to, to Bill Stoller, I remember him saying, well, who are your other Oregon clients? And I thought, well, I don't have any Oregon clients <laughs> at this time. And uh, I said, but I do work with an Oregon winemaker, and his name is Tony Rinders, and he recommended me for a project that he's working on in Washington because he makes wines in both mm -hmm. states. And that, again, is another story of um, relationship building. Um, but instead of saying, oh, well, clearly you don't know what you're doing if you don't have any Oregon clients, I think Bill understood, you know, this woman has moved here from afar. <laughs> she has an expertise level. And maybe he liked, I've never asked him, but maybe he liked that I didn't have mm -hmm. Oregon clients um, because he likes to be on the innovation mm -hmm. side of things. And so, you know, having a long relationship with Stoller Family Estate has, has just been wonderful, but it's actually helped me create that coverage that then becomes the part to say, look, here's what it is that sure. I do. Sure. Um, and again, you have to have all the ingredients. Stoller has the story, the property, the vision, the wines, the wine, uh, right. everything. Uh, and then it's just my job to sort of serve that in a way that's interesting. Um, so I would say they got it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, sometimes it takes wanting to, wanting to take a little bit of a chance. Sure, sure. You mentioned uh, teaching at Jamaica earlier. Mm -hmm. How did that come about and what did you do there? That, gosh, teaching at Chemeketa, I may have just seen it as a um, like a job posting, mm -hmm. and I thought, well, gosh, I've just gotten out of school. Why don't I go back <laughs> into school? <laughs> um, and so I was thrilled to get that opportunity. Um, and it, being new in a, in a region, um, this I knew would allow me to meet uh, students, obviously, mm -hmm. but other instructors and other industry because one of the things about this program, especially in the marketing class, was bringing in outside speakers to mm -hmm. talk about what it is that they do and sure. share and allow the students to have a conversation with them. And so I was thrilled to be able to have those connections. Um, and I guess I theoretically knew this, but it wasn't until I really got in there um, because teaching something when you teach something, it forces you to really learn it. Mm -hmm. So you may know it on a certain on-the-job or studied level, but when you're having to show someone how to do something sure. and work with them, that's a whole different relationship with your own profession. And so that was really, I mean, I think that for me personally and professionally helped me advance to another level of my ability as 
a marketing communications sure. strategist. Sure, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. And so you, you were just, that's what you were teaching was marketing communication strategy? Yes, they had at the time, and this is probably fall of 2008, so it was not long after I moved just, to just the area. Here, okay. um, one wine marketing class, and I believe that the program has grown. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was one wine marketing class per term. And so I taught a different class each time, so perhaps three total. Um, and so having to now, I, I guess at the time my thought was they'll just give me the material they want me to teach. No, no, no. This was your class. You come up with the material. Wow. You come up with the reading. You come up with the method that you want to use. And so not only did I need to share it and teach it, but I needed to develop the content. Wow. Um, that's, that's, quite, that's quite a task. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, a lot of work. <laughs> and how did you end up working with Salute? I started as a volunteer for Salute. I really from afar had admired the way that, you know, it's one of my favorite things actually about um, Oregon, the Willamette Valley in particular, is just the camaraderie. Mm -hmm. You know, I immediately felt that as soon as I went to my first event here. Um, and so I really admired the way that the initial founders of the program had come together, recognized the need, and made it happen. Mm -hmm. And then not only made it happen once or twice, but kept it going. You know, at that time for almost 20 years, mm -hmm. and now 26 years. Right. Um, and so I just, I would really admired their work. Um, and I knew it was a good way to give back. And selfishly, I knew it was a great way to network. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a fun event. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, it's one of the only events other than IPNC that really, and um, Oregon Pinot Camp, which is closed to consumers, mm -hmm. but those three events really are the ones that bring the owners and operators together yeah. in a really meaningful way. Sure. So is there an important part of marketing that you've found that wine businesses should be focusing on and are not? <laughs> Well, the, the smart ass answer would be doing it. Uh, <laughs> important part. Yes, uh, there are many important parts, but I'd say that the number one is sort of, especially for a small producer, you know, figuring out, determining what it is you're going to do and who you are, what you're going to stand for, and then following through. Mm -hmm. Because it's very easy to get pulled in a million directions. You know, let's just pick on social media for a minute. Okay, we're going to do social media. <laughs> well, my goodness, how many platforms are there? Mm -hmm. Unless you're going to hire a full-time either agency or person to do social media, you cannot be on every site and every platform. Right. And that's all you would do all day long uh, for a small winery. So I think it's it, sometimes what you're not doing is as important as what you are doing. Because if we just start from a marketing perspective with you're not going to be able to do everything, you're not going to be able to do most things. What is going to have the most impact? Mm -hmm. And then that follow through. And so it's that whole saying no thing too, really. But what are the key things that you're going to say yes to? And then how are you going to measure that? And so that's when it gets into this sort of nerdy aspect of marketing. But what is your plan? Mm -hmm. And how are you measuring it? And how are you implementing it? Um, and evaluating it and then redoing it again. I think marketing in, in many industries, but especially in the wine industry, maybe especially um, in younger regions, it's sort of this like, well, what's that? Like, no one gets into wine to do marketing except people like me. <laughs> people get into wine to grow it, mm -hmm. make it, mm -hmm. um, and for other reasons. But very few people say like, I love selling wine. Mm -hmm. You know, we need more of those people. <laughs> it's sort of something you have to do. It's not what initially attracted you for the you know vast majority of people. And so I think navigating that, figure what is marketing. Um, is the big piece. And then what does that mean for my winery and my organization? Um, helping, I think part of the, the biggest service that I can provide is helping people figure out what the heck that is. Sure. What is our definition? Sure, um, sure. Have you seen a growth in people like you in the Oregon wine industry? Yes. Or, what, what, do you see that continuing in the future? I hope so. Um, I want lots of competitors. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> because when there are no competitors, there is no market. So um, yes, I've seen a growth of people entering. 
um, in the marketing space, in the PR space. Uh, I hope there will be more. The, with the arrival of more people providing the service means there's more demand for the service. Mm -hmm. it, um, the southerner in me wants to say, it breaks my heart when I see someone give up on their business. <laughs> it does really break my heart. It just, you know, I wish there were a greater demand for it because I strongly believe that um, the right type of marketing communications can really help a brand grow. Mm -hmm. And what is growth? Growth is more customers. It's more profitability. Mm -hmm. It's more of an opportunity to give back to Salute. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, you know, having more people in that space is a great thing. You mentioned social media a minute mm -hmm. ago. Has that been the, the biggest changing agent you've seen in your business? Or is that, like in the, in the idea of wine marketing, mm -hmm. has that changed things more than anything else? Well, I think, I mean, social media has helped share stories. It's helped democratize wine. Um, it's helped flow the conversation of wine, flow more. Um, I don't know that I would say that that's the biggest change. I think the biggest change really is the opening up of direct-to-consumer mm. markets. You know, let's think back in my day when I got started, circa 2000, wineries didn't have websites. Mm -hmm. uh, you certainly didn't send wine to people. I mean, maybe, you know, there were some guys that had, you know, private planes fly some wines sure, to them. Sure. But there wasn't all this commerce going back and forth direct to the consumer. It was very three-tier. Like, you want to sell wine? Sure, if you're, you have a tasting room and you bring people there. But really how you sell wine is to a distributor who puts it in restaurant and retail, and that's where people buy wine. Now, with the opening of direct-to-consumer markets, it's not all 50, but it's mm -hmm. a heck of a lot better than it was 17 years ago when sure. I started. Sure. Um, I can, from my mother's home in North Carolina, order wine from Stoller and have it arrive in two days if I want to pay for that shipping, <laughs> which is pretty great. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's not, maybe it's broader than social media, it's the internet. Yeah. Um, because right. that's a way to discover wine. Let's say I'm planning a trip. How would I have planned a trip to wine country sure. here in 2000? I don't know. I'm sure I would have figured it out. <laughs> but now how someone would plan a trip is go online and book their flight and book their place they're staying and then look around what people have said at wineries. So I think it's really that digital presence and social media is a piece of that, um, if that makes sense. It absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, sort of journalists being hungry to hear about Oregon wine. Mm -hmm. um, what is your perception of their their perception of Oregon. What do you, what, how do you understand what they think about Oregon wine? Well, overall, journalists perceive Oregon wine very, in a very positive light. Um, positive, if not linear or uh, Pinot Noir, I should say. <laughs> I mean, what that's, and you know, obviously we have Southern Oregon, we have the Columbia Gorge, we even have Chardonnay. Um, but Oregon has done such a good job marketing its Pinot Noir that, I mean, that's, uh, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's also opportunity, is the variety that is here in Oregon. It's not just Pinot Noir. Sure. But that's also, most of the journalists that I work with do not live in the Pacific Northwest. You know, that's another reason to hire me if you want to expand your footprint nationally. Um, so they are not focused on sub-Appalachians at this right, time. Right. They're, you know, that's fine if you live in Portland, you mm -hmm. want to discover the Dundee Hills or Yamhill Carlton, but they're more interested in what they, a region, which probably is Willamette Valley, um, at least that's what first comes to mind, but it might just be all of Oregon. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a, there's a good baseline understanding, but all the nuances, you know, the same journalist could probably recite, you know, which wineries in Bordeaux or in which classification of growths. <laughs> they don't know our sub-appellation sure, here. Sure, sure. Um, it's just newer. Um, <laughs> Bordelais have been at it for centuries, so right. I think that they, they have a very high impression of the area, the people, the wines made here, um, and would certainly like to know more. Um, I will say the other thing is when, when you get outside of this area, now maybe if you're in a major market like New York, um, or there was a store, I wish I could remember the name, that I visited in Minneapolis. It's a phenomenal support. I mean, a wall of Oregon wine. Wow. I never see that when I travel. 
Um, in fact, that's one of the things that I think is an opportunity for Oregon is distribution and really having a, you know, that can be a tough play for a smaller winery, but mm -hmm. as we have some wineries growing and some larger wineries investing here, I think bringing Oregon to different markets is going to ultimately just help all of Oregon because that way people will begin to understand what are the differences between these sub-appellations, who are the key players. So I think, you know, ultimately very high brand image, if you will, mm -hmm. of Oregon, but a very, let's call it baseline level of understanding sure, you know sure. it's not like it would be a normal thing for a winery here to host a journalist trip for a week right um, which right. is what i used to do for portugal once twice a year Just bring a group of journalists there and take them all around and um, that's just not yet done here so but there is more i mean uh, there i think here it's done on more of an organizational level, like Oregon Wine Board, IPNC is a great um, sure. example of that, bringing sure. people in. So on a kind of different topic here, mm -hmm. what, what made you decide to be uh, become a certified sommelier and uh, how has it influenced the way you've done your yeah. job? Thank you. Um, well, ultimately what made me want to become a sommelier is I love wine. Um, and I guess I love to study. <laughs> um, and it was a lot of study. Um, but just the, the desire to really understand something. I always professionally have wanted to operate at a really high level. And so maybe it's a little bit of a chip on the marketing shoulder. You know, I'm not growing it. You don't want me. I finally learned how to keep an orchid healthy. Um, and I'm definitely not making it. And I'm not going to try again. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, marketing, that's not quite as, you know, your hands aren't in the dirt and, and the grapes in the same way. And so to really understand something, you know, you've, you've got to study it. And so if I'm going to be an expert wine marketer, I need to know the world of wine. And so a course like um, becoming a certified sommelier or taking the advanced um, wine spirit education trust mm -hmm. exam and coursework, like that forces you to not only dive deep into wine but also have a huge breadth because they don't let you get away with studying your favorite regions you have to study all of them and they're ever expanding sure, you know, wine sure. is made in china now right i would not want to be taking those exams now <laughs> um, but really the the desire to to know more and really understand something that i'm quite passionate about and i mean wine's wonderful for that i'm sure other interviewees have said it but i mean what else combines like the earth and the land mm -hmm. with culture and history and, and sharing and deliciousness. It like, also tastes good, right? Yeah, and it tastes good <laughs> and it's fun and happy. So I think just all of that sure. to really full circle. And then the other reason, um, frankly, I, it, it was strategic professionally, if you will, to take those coursework paths because, um, okay, so I'm a marketer, I'm engaged in PR and trying to work with and influence journalists. Well, I know that journalists are invited to judge wine competitions. So wouldn't it be great if I, there are very few seats for wine marketing people mm -hmm. at wine competitions, but if I could be one of those, then I would become a colleague of sure. the journalist and not just the annoying person asking them to do something. And so there was sure. definitely a bit of a, you know, I would like an in. I would like to get to know this person in a way that's, you know, more level than me asking you to to sure. cover my client. Sure, that makes sense. Infiltrate. <laughs> That's right, change from inside. Yes. So you've mentioned a little bit about this, but I'm curious overall what you see the future of Oregon wine looking like. And that can be the future oh, as far out as you want to go or as close as you want to go. What does it look like? Oh, it's very exciting. Um, you know, I think it's a great question to ponder. Um, <laughs> I think those that have been here longer would have a much deeper perspective on that but for me from the business side from someone who you know started out in global wine and California wine I mean I think it's just it's awareness mm -hmm. I mean what a marketer term but just people knowing what wonderful wines are produced here mm -hmm. and not just people within say 100 or 200 mile radius but to really you know they're certainly people who enjoy wine and still don't know that the Willamette <laughs> <laughs> makes wine sure. or maybe they know that there's Willamette Pinot Noir but they don't understand that there are many other delicious things and so I think 
you know, I don't mean to compare Oregon with California or the Willamette with Napa because they're completely different in, in so many ways. Um, but, you know, people, visionaries like Mondavi, you know, Napa wasn't Napa mm -hmm. um, 30, 40 plus years ago. Sure. Um, and I, I'm not saying we need to have all this, you know, influx of tourism and Disneyland and all of that here in the Willamette Valley or in all of Oregon, but most people would know Napa if they have any, mm -hmm. like, touch on a culinary or wine scene. And I don't think one could say the same thing yeah. about Oregon wine. Will they be able to? It, uh, it depends. I mean, there's, there's that production scale. So, you know, if I'm a family-owned Oregon winery, I am not very focused on distribution. So this is where I get into hot water. Um, we have some larger wineries who have um, come up from California and <laughs> invested here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, I'm sure people feel varying ways depending on the lens through which they're evaluating this kind of market change. Mm -hmm. But the way I see it overall from a much longer-term perspective, you know, this is a giant spotlight on Oregon, that these very successful um, companies are looking this way. And they study, you know, we don't get IRI data here. <laughs> study it to see what the trends are. But large California operations do look at data. And so their data is telling them, you need to get here, you need to get here fast. Mm -hmm. And they're making investments in prized wineries mm -hmm. with great images. And so to me, that's the spotlight. It's just shining on all of Oregon. You know, maybe it's disproportionate to the brand's purchase, but what it, in the long term, it's look at Oregon, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think that's a, a great thing. And so I think it will be with the help of larger companies, ditto what happens in any area of the wine world that maybe first introduces people, but how wonderful of them, because they're the ones with the distribution Mm -hmm. relationships that's going to get a bottle of Oregon or a bottle of Willamette on the shelf. You know, mm -hmm. that's the first step. It has to be on the shelf mm -hmm. for me to buy it or for me to even consider a trip. You know, it'd be interesting to pull all the people who have visited, say, Napa, Sonoma in the last five years, and how many of them have repeatedly come there from outside of California, mm -hmm. yet never come here. Sure. And I'll tell you, I'm guilty. How many years did I live in the Bay Area? Eight? I went to Washington once or twice for Hogue and never came here. I loved Oregon Pinot Noir. <laughs> what was my problem? I don't know. Um, but that it's a, sort of an awareness mm -hmm. thing. Um, and it's not like at the time I was pulling a bunch of Oregon wine off shelves. It was more industry people saying, like, you got to try this Pinot. Like, they know what they're doing. <laughs> so. Will, um, I'm curious, based on your impressions of or the Oregon wine community so mm -hmm. far, if for Oregon to make that leap into sort of national, international awareness, not necessarily to Napa Valley levels, but to make a leap like that, will the, is the Oregon wine industry ready for that? Are the people in the industry ready for that? I think so. Uh, I mean, it's, 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 a lot of it is simply a matter of time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a young game here. You know, 1960s feels like a really long time ago, <laughs> but having worked for producers that started in the 1500s, the right. 60s are not a long time ago. <laughs> so I really think it's it's a matter of, of time, and the prestige level is still there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's excuse me, it's already there. You know, the quality is there. So I think it's a function of time, desire, and then yes, some of these the larger spotlights. Mm -hmm. um, and it, that's one of the things that I do continue to love about the industry is the way a lot of wine is sold is still that person-to-person -person interaction. People still, even with the internet, <laughs> distributors put bottles in a bag and get in their car sure. and drive to buyers, sommeliers mm -hmm. and buyers, and try to convince them to buy the wine. So there's that heavy relational aspect person to person, and I hope that does not change. But I think that's where, you know, it's the people, the Oregonians or Oregon winery owners who travel and bring the story and bring the wines. Like there's, there's nothing like meeting the winemaker mm -hmm. if you love wine. Sure. So sure. I think it just takes time. Interesting. Okay, those are all the questions okay. we had for you. Uh, did you, anything I should have asked you, anything else you want to mention? put you on the spotlight here. No, <laughs> please. Um, 
I just I think I'd like to close just by emphasizing I think one of the most important things that two of the most important things <laughs> that um, overall the Oregon vintners with whom I've interacted have is one the spirit of collaboration I mean that that is truly wonderful I think you have that in the wine industry globally but there's just something special about Oregon um, and so that would be one that spirit of collaboration and two just the the spirit of true uniqueness mm -hmm. you know not trying to be what other regions are doing or you know it, we sometimes get into this in you know comparing to Burgundy mm -hmm. all of the time you know that's great like who doesn't love Burgundy but you don't maybe we're getting to the point where we're past that mm -hmm. like you're you're Oregon mm -hmm. you know compare yourself to you in the global market and not just pinpointing we're almost like them mm -hmm. because I think what we have here is special enough to stand on its own. Great answer, I like that. Thank you. And I guess as, as I'm asking, you mentioned that it brought up another question I could ask which is what is the future for, for Trellis? Mm. <laughs> Thank you for asking that. Um, and Trellis, I think, like many small businesses, is in sort of a dynamic state. I, and probably all businesses are in a dynamic state. <laughs> I mean, when are things always the same? Mm -hmm. um, I think the future for Trellis is to, to continue on, you know, as me providing services in marketing communications to vendors. And the reason for that is because that's what I like to do. <laughs> um, at one time or another, you know, I wanted to be a large agency. I don't see that sort of building back up anytime soon just because I have a young child and I want to spend a lot of time with him. Sure. Um, so I think it will continue to be sort of specialized, very one-on-one, -on -one, me working with owners and operators um, on a, you know, it's a limited basis. I don't want 10 clients. Um, you know, I want to sort of get in, dive deep, make an impact, and then when the time is right to, to move on. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. Which is all made possible by internet and online, <laughs> um, being able to work from anywhere. Sure, so. sure, of course. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate this. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.